Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bachar banu mikol hamim, venatan lanu et torato. Baruch atah Adonai, noten haTorah. Amen. May this podcast be to the merit of hastening the redemption through Mashiach Yeshua. Amen. Well, first off, I just want to say you may have remember a few weeks ago that I actually stopped uh, dedicating the podcast to the merit of the Refuah Shlema of Esther Markovitz, Bot Sarah. Well, that's because not even a week ago, I mean, well, it was pretty much during Parsha and more, that uh, we received the report that she is completely healed. And like restored in health and everything. So miraculous salvation for sure. And lots of praising as a mishpocha is happening. So just want to let everyone know uh, via podcast that Hashem literally answered so many different prayers, so many different brachot that uh, we were given the privilege actually to daven for. And so, bless the name of Hashem, hallelujah, that Esther Markovitz bat Sarah has been granted Refua Shlema. And we get to rejoice with her and with Yishai Ben Tuvia. And um, so, like, wow, Hashem is literally, like, so gracious, so awesome, and allowing us this opportunity to see Wonderful things. So now I'm dedicating this podcast to the hastening of the redemption because I want to share with you something that really uh, just completely blue screened me uh, about Yosef. Yosef is uh, making quite the comeback in all of the commentaries that I am now studying. Um, as you know, I've been following the weekly parasha schedule with Yisrael, as well as the diaspora schedule for the Torah portions. So this week in the diaspora is Parsha Behar, which is on the mountain, in reference to Mount Sinai. Which is kind of crazy because you thought we left Sinai a while ago when we started Sefer Vayikra, but no, we did not. We're still at the foot of the mountain. So that's the beautiful thing about Torah. It's not in chronological order. So there's that. But anyway, uh, so this week in Yisrael, though, they're in Parsha Bekukotai. So I just want to drop this little insight here from Parsha Bekukotai because... There's this thing in chapter 27 on the Hasidic Insights that talks about uh, verse 33 that says, If he does substitute it, then both its replacement will be holy. So there's this idea of bringing a Corbin and um, substituting it, you know, and obviously you're not supposed to really substitute your Corbin out because when you designate it as Corbin, there should be a Corbin. But there's a little uh, wonderful insight here. It says, the initials of the words in Hebrew, for he does substitute it, then it will be, which is the letters at the beginning of each of those words is hey, 
Yod, uh, Vav, Hey. Hey, Yod, Vav, Hey. Now, for if you can see that, that is actually Hashem's four-letter name spelled backwards. Because Hashem's name spelled forward is Yod and Hey with Vav and Hey. But now, this verse 2733 of Vayikra, uh, Parsha again, this is the Hasidic Insights, it says that this verse, if you look at this phrase, he does substitute it, then it will be, is actually the tetragrammaton, the four-letter name, backwards. The hey and the vav with the hey and the yod. So, continuing on, it says, there are actually 12 ways of arranging the letters of his name. Each arrangement corresponds to one of the months of the year and one of the 12 tribes. That comes from Tor Orach Hachaim or Orach Chaim 417. Okay, so writings of the Tor. All right. The combination formed by this phrase corresponds to the 11th month, which is the month of Shavat. Not Shabbat, but Shavat, okay? And um, it's interesting to note, Shavat is spelled with a tet and not a tav. Uh, so, this is kind of your winter month, and this actually begins to be the month where we celebrate the new year of the trees. Because man is like a tree, you know, man is like a tree of the field, you should know a tree by its fruit, you know, all that kind of stuff, and celebrating the fruit, and actually the whole thing about the almonds or the quickest fruit to blossom and the almond and all the significant that goes with that but it ripens literally within 21 days so from start to finish you have a 21 day germination and produce uh, blossom process if you will of the almond this is why Aharon's staff budded almonds in the presence of Hashem brought down by the incredible Talmud or Incredible Professor Talmud, I should say, for those of us who've seen Endgame, um, that he was teaching the 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 children the Banim this past Shabbat, and he was talking about Amor and the Holy of Holies and things like that. And he said, you know, what's in the Holy of Holies? And one of the children raised their hand and they said Hashem. And it was interesting because he was. He draws on the board while he teaches, you know, because a good professor, they like to illustrate things. And so he was like, what? You know, like freaking out, like, you know, like the Hulk screaming. But yeah, you know, just normal, completely normal. But uh, he had a picture of the Ark on the board and they're like, yeah, that's a shim. And it's just like, oh, my goodness. So the thing is, we're supposed to be like children, right? So we can inherit the kingdom. So if a youth could look at a picture of the ark in the holy of holies as far as it being illustrated on a uh dry erase board and when we say what's in the holy of holies the what is a who and for a child to understand that and furthermore to understand that the ark which includes the tablets the cherubim and the shaking of Hashem hovering over it they say no that's Hashem it's just like oh <laughs> Hashem manifest okay well, I completely have uh, failed as an adult because I was not elucidating that 
you know it's just kind of like wow i think i need to just hand over the reins to the kill the children and uh, let them teach right you know so of course him and i we uh unbox style need each other across the room at the same time because what do you even say to that you know like are you kidding me and uh yeah so anyway just food for thought there on hashem and manifest and the ark and uh, uh, the staff of Aharon, budding almonds and the fruit and the tree and the month of Shabbat. Okay, back to our commentary. So the 11th month is the divine name spelled completely backwards. This is the 11th month and it is Jacob's 11th son, which is Yosef. So it's interesting to note that the 12 sons of Yaakov correspond to the 12 months of the Hebrew calendar. So if we want to walk through cycles of time, we have to go through the tribes of Yisrael because the tribes, the sons of Jacob, who's also called Yisrael. So Yisrael Kol Echad is the Hebrew calendar. This is why if you're trying to be outside of the Hebrew calendar and tell Jacob's sons how they're going to be counted, that's a problem. And as Captain Yisrael brought down in the Aliyah day, just know, believe, trust, and understand that anyone who tries to change up the calendar, they're not Jewish. Because Jews don't do that. Non-Jews, however, do that. So... As simple as that is, it just still kind of like, wait, what did you just say? Because it's like, well, it's the Hebrew calendar. So, yeah, you don't have anybody going around changing Greg's calendar, the Gregorian calendar, January through, you know, they set that calendar and it's like, okay, this is it. So we don't run around now going, well, February is going to start when I say it starts. And I'm going to start February over here when it actually it's technically January, but that's fine. It doesn't matter because I'm in charge. It's like, so no one does that with Greg's calendar, the Gregorian calendar. But uh, everyone tries to do that with uh, the Hebrew calendar. And it's just kind of like, okay. So you just tell God whenever he will uh, be okay to celebrate Pesach. See how that works. I don't, I don't think that's going to work out very well. But anyway, I digress. The 11th month, the 11th tribe, the 11th way to rearrange the letters of Hashem's name corresponds to Yosef. Because that's what we're talking about. This is from the Sidur Beit Yaakov and Sha'ar Hagal. Okay, so Sha'ar Hagal, or Sha'ar Hagai. Hagai, not Hagai. Okay, not to be confused with that. Anyway, so now it says, mystically, substituting one animal for another refers to the worthy endeavor of changing the mundane into holiness. You know, kind of like what women do on uh, prep day into Shabbat. Yeah, that's right. Judaism totally suppresses women. So, you know, I guess they have no glory at all because they only do things like uh, take the mundane and change it into the holy. And yes, I'm talking about candle lighting. Yeah, I'm bringing in the light of the world. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, just saying. Because there's a common misconception that Judaism suppresses the women. However, if we didn't have any women, there would be no Jews. And if we didn't have any women, 
how are we going to bring the light into the world? Obviously, if a guy is single and doesn't have a wife for whatever reason, he lights the candles. But I'm just saying, as far as Judaism is concerned, when it comes to who changes the mundane into the holy, i.e. going from the six working days into the Shabbat, who's in charge of that? Oh, yeah, the women. Just saying. I think that's pretty legit. Considering the fact to ultimately when the light of the world, Yeshua HaMashiach, was brought in, it was through a woman whose name is Miriam, who has the word for waters in her name, Mayim. And also she has the word Morim, which is teachers, because the way you spell Miriam is the same way you spell Morim, which is teachers. Food for thought. All right. So changing the mundane into holiness this is what it's on. This is the meaning mystically of substituting an animal for another. And it says with regard to one's fellow human being, this means bringing someone who is estranged from his from his soul back into it, revealing to him his connection to God. OK, so the way to substitute an animal for another and to thereby make both animals kadosh like holy acceptable to hashem that you take your fellow human okay bring them who don't know anything about torah and judaism and yes i'm talking about proselyte and conversion okay you talk you cause them who are estranged from their soul you bring someone back to that and reveal to them their connection to Hashem. Now, so if you go out and make proselytes, this is what you're doing. Now, gathering in the divine sparks, same thing. Continuing on, it says, the per this person affecting this substitution must actually perform two substitutions in this process. He must first enter the realm of the person he's seeking to help, i.e. this is a cool thing of why we go to work every day, except Shabbats and Yom Tov. And it says, we enter into the realm and then we descend from loftier preoccupations and substitute, quote unquote, his spiritual ivory tower for the mundane world. Now, Earlier in the Hasidic Insights, it talks about how this is what the Torah did when uh, we sinned with the golden calf and when we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Torah fell from its lofty place, rearranged itself for our sake so that it could elevate us and bring us back. So anyway, and then it says he can then elevate the person replacing his estrangement from God with holiness this is why the verse is written, I shall give you beauty for ashes. You bring those ashes over here and I'll give you something beautiful. This is also the picture of the Kohen taking the ashes to the outside of the camp. The ashes of what was uh, left over from the, uh, the Tamid lamb, the evening lamb being consumed on the altar. And in the morning, whatever's left from that are ashes and they're take, taken off the altar placed in a pile next to the altar, clothes are changed, that Cohen takes those same ashes in that pile, removes them to the outside of the camp into a pure place. 
all at the same time to bring in a new lamb who will now be on the altar. And what's interesting about the Tamid offering, Tamid literally means without ceasing. And when you look at, there is never a time that there is not any remnant of the lamb on the altar. Because when you take the ashes off, you're putting on another lamb. And when that lamb is uh, on the altar, there are other corbinote that are being brought literally on top of that, which is why we still pray to Hashem, which is why we make sacrifices. Because remember, anytime you pray or give thanks or call on the name of Hashem, that is a sacrifice. This is why it's called the fruit of our lips, sacrifices of praise, sacrifice of thanksgiving. Give, an, give a love offering to Hashem. You know, this is also when we pay our zadaka. That's also like bringing a sacrifice. Um, so I just want to let you know that that's all because the lamb has already been placed on the altar. The ashes have already been removed. So when we look at sacrificing and the time to come with the rebuilding of the third Beit HaMikdash, may it be soon, may it be sooner than later. Amen. May it be now. Amen. Bring Mashiach now, Hakadosh Baruchu. Amen. So, even when that happens, that's why we bring our korbanot still because it's in between the morning and the evening lamb. Okay. So, and until that lamb is on the altar, no other korbanot can be made because you would be breaking, as it were, to quote from the Avengers Endgame. You know, you'll change up timelines and stuff. So the ancient one in that movie did this beautiful drop about the t the all the stones of the Infinity Gauntlet. If we go back, because they did this whole time travel thing in the quantum realm. And she was illustrating, if you remove these stones from the timeline, even though you're in the quantum realm and all this kind of stuff, you're going to create these threads in time. So like a string theory thing. And you you disrupt things in the universes. And yes, there are universes, okay? Not in the way that we would normally think about them, because remember, there are four worlds in general. There's the world of Azilut, the world of Yetzirah, the world of Berea, the world of Asiya. Those are higher levels of spirituality, which is why Hashem is called Master of the Worlds. Okay, anyway, so there's all sorts of stuff that are beyond us and above us that we can't even fathom and comprehend. And... um you know, so that whole thing about creating these kind of uh, strings and uh, just discontinuities in the universes or the worlds. Yeah, that that's what that looks like. So anyway, if we don't keep the Corbin Tamid on the altar, we're bringing other sacrifices. We're disrupting things and uh, you don't want to do that. So it'll be the equivalent for us to bring it down to a way, way easier thing to think through. Think about removing the lamb who was slain before the foundation. And then on top of that, remove what Mashiach did on that faithful 14th of Nisan that he was in existence in his 33rd year. So just completely wipe that out, erase that, take that away, pretend like it never happened. And now... What do we have? Absolutely nothing. Because the only reason the sacrifices have any kind of effect, any kind of atonement that comes with them. And yes, there are different types of atonements, which is why when we read in our Siddur 
that we say, may we be able to offer the Corbin that it may atone for us. So, yeah. Anyway, so the only reason we can have any of those effects is because of the lamb who was slain before the foundation, because of the Tamid, which is interesting that the Tamid is actually two, but it's called one. We'll read that shortly, I promise, uh, from Parsha Pincus. And then you got Mashiach Yeshua, who is the fulfillment of what was talked about in Genesis chapter 22, the Akedah passage. You realize that Mashiach was also the one who was actually bound and actually offered and actually completely consumed in Bereshit 22, even though it was counted as Yitzhak, because Yitzhak was substituted. Okay, hence why we're talking about Yosef, Mashiach being Yosef was the one who was substituted in his place. And then Mashiach Yeshua was substituted in our place because the death he died, we should have died. The only problem with it is we wouldn't have even made it out of the garden had we had to do exactly what Mashiach did. Because I tell you right now, people come at me with clubs and bats and torches in a garden at nighttime. Oh, I'm grabbing branches and I'm going to whoop some some. Uh, john browns you know that's what we gonna do you know right so uh even though i know i'm supposed to be like don't you know take this cup away from me nevertheless your will be done obviously i would have failed horribly at that and at the same time not to even get to that point um mashiach was blemish or was blemish blemish free i.e he had no sin there was no hummus in him whatsoever. And it's just kind of like, how much hummus do I have? Uh, let's see. I get upset when I stub my toe. And um, not I don't say bad words. Thank Hashem. That's been a process. Uh, because I spent so much of my youth uh, thinking that, yeah, the only way to vent your anger properly and your hurts and your pains is to use slur words. And it's just like, no. That's not how you do it. There are way other constructive, non-sinful ways to do so. And yes, it is a sin to say bad words, like, you know, very, very bad words. Anyway, so, uh, anyway, so, yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of hummets in so many places of our lives. So, yeah, we would have, we would have completely failed. So, thank Hashem for his Mashiach. Because, you know, Mashiach belongs to Hashem. Salvation is Hashem's. You know, he is the right arm of God. And he worked for us. And we be, he, he was substituted for us to actually bring us up from us being attached to him. Which is why Bereshit chapter 22 is Mashiach being offered. And so to see him actually offered in the likeness of a human. Because remember, Mashiach is in our likeness as Shaul brings down. Um. Let me go ahead and give you that verse that he was in our likeness. That is brought down from, first of all, literally, this is the fulfillment of Bereshit 126, the let us make man in our image. So that way, when we actually get to uh, this writing that, uh, Shaul brings down. Let's see here. 
This is from the Agarit to Philippi, chapter 2. I always want to make sure I'm quoting this right because I get his Agarit to Philippi and his Agarit to Colossae. I get them mixed up so much. Because uh, I always love the you shall shine like stars in the nighttime sky. And it's just like, wait, what was that? Was that Ephesians? Was that Philippi Philippians? Or was that Colossians? Uh, yeah, you know. But anyway, and the Agarit to Philippi 2.6, it says, he who being in the nature and the very nature of Hashem. Right? Like he was in the very form and the very nature of Hashem. He did not consider equality with Hashem something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant being made in human likeness. So now the human likeness form of the ram from Bereshit 22 is Mashiach. So that way the Akedah is completely completed because the image of man that needed to actually be offered was actually offered. Okay, so connect Bereshit 126 with Bereshit 22 with uh, the Gospels, the Basora accounts, where Mashiach is actually offered on the stake with this Agarit to Philippi chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Okay, so back to this uh, Hasidic insight. It says, so that was step one. You have to get enter into the realm of the person, seek to help them, descend from your lofty preoccupation and substitute your ivory tower for the mundane world. Okay, so go to where they are. And then it says, number two, you can elevate the other person by replacing his estrangement from God with holiness. Okay, beauty for ashes. And then it says, if we find ourselves reluctant to leave, the safe environs of holiness and enter the mundane world in order to elevate those in it. The Torah reassures us by telling us that both it, that which descends, okay, and its replacement, that which was formerly estranged but now not, both it and its replacement will be holy, i.e., both we and that which we replace, elevate to holiness, will be holy. We will not be denigrated by our descent into worldliness. And whatever and whomever we elevate will remain within the realm of holiness. The idea of bringing the estranged under the wings of the divine presence was exemplified by Yosef. Yosef was named by his mother with the prayer, May Hashem Yosef. May Hashem add, which is Yosef. For me, another son. You can read about that in uh, Bereshit 30, verse 24. Raquel's prayer alludes to Yosef's mission, which was to grant transformation to others. Those who seem to be strangers to God, revealing that they are in reality sons. This is the cool thing about understanding how all of the world and all the creation is like Purim. You know, all mankind were wearing costumes because guess what? We have the same soul that comes from Hashem and we're all many members of one body. We're all children of the same family. And so these external facades have been tripping us up for millennia. 
So just because somebody's black, just because somebody's Indian, just because someone's Asian, just because someone has a Christian faith or someone has an Islam faith or someone has a Buddhist faith. OK, it doesn't matter because we all have a soul that came from Hashem. And if you really think about it, the religion, quote unquote, we profess to have, we are conditioned, brought up and taught about. Which is why it's important for us to know the truth for ourselves, Okay. And Bezrat Hashem, all of our youth that we bring up in Torah, in Judaism, they understand that it's truth and they live it out. Because any other religion, any other faith is just not. There's only one truth. There's one God. There's one faith. Hmm. I think that's written somewhere. But anyway, um, yeah, so that's not to discredit anybody as far as telling them that they can't know Hashem, because what are we reading? Yosef causes everyone to know Hashem. So uh, in my wonderful book that I always love, 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 called What the Rabbis Know About Messiah, uh, this is in there, okay? It's talking about the nations. And specifically when it comes to Yosef, like Mashiach being Yosef. It says this, uh, page 46. Accordingly, Mashiach is both David's descendant and God's begotten son. Okay, let that say la. He's a descendant of David, but he is God's begotten son i.e. he is an extension of the divinity and infinity of which Hashem is. Like, he pretty much is one with the name of Hashem. So yeah, alright? So anyway, that's Mashiach. It says, this is a most amazing revelation, yet not one which was confined to this psalm. Other scripture reveals details about the fact that the sonship of Slika. Other scriptures reveal details about the fact that, or about the fact of the sonship of the Mashiach. Another psalm tells us that Mashiach, God's begotten son, will rule the nations and they will worship him. Otherwise, they will be punished. This is why it is written... And Tehillim 2, which is actually Tehillim 1, if you go back into antiquity, Tehillim 1 and 2 were split and made into 2. And there's a whole drop on that. But the first 18 Tehillim uh, used to correspond, they used to in the sense of when Tehillim 1 and 2 were one, one actual unit together, they corresponded to the Shemone Esrei. So that each of the 18 brachot we recite during the Amidah actually corresponded to the first 18 psalms. But now that Psalm 1 was broken up into Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, they don't technically correspond to the Shemona Esrei unless you put 1 and 2 together. And then, so you make the Avot blessing go with Tehillim 1 and 2, and then the Gevarot blessing go with Tehillim 3. And so on and so forth. So anyway, just so you know. Uh, so yeah, this telling too is saying, why do the nations rage? Skip a little bit. Against Adonai and his anointed, which is Mashiach, by the way. Anointed. Uh, let me just go ahead and 
do that verse real quick with the uh, Tehillim. Figured out how to, uh, well, I was going to say I figured out on Bible Hub how to get a whole passage in uh, Ivrit and just kind of read from there. And if I ever come across a word I don't know, then I could uh, click on it and be like, oh, okay. So then you learn how to read Hebrew. It's just a good way to practice. So anyway, uh, against Hashem and his anointed. Um, let's see, where is that at? Yep. Meshicho, which is his Mashiach. So when you see Mashiach here, this is Tehillim 2.2. I want to see where they also use this. Um, because I always say that, you know, Mashiach is not technically written in the Peshat text of the Torah. And, uh, when you look at the word Mashiach, it is Strong's number 4899. The first use of it is Vayikra 4.3. And it's in reference to the Kohen. Yeah, to the Kohen, literally the Kohenim, which uh, 4.3 says, um, if the anointed priest sins so as to bring guilt on the people, then let him offer to Adonai a bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. So nowhere in there do we see Mashiach like Yeshua or anything like that. But it's just good to know that when it comes to Mashiach, that is literally the anointing that was on the priest. And other appearances of it, it says Mashiach is called the king of Israel. Uh, this is one definition. It means anointed by divine command. He's also the high priest of Israel. He's also a person named Cyrus uh, who helped with uh, bringing back the exiles from Babylon and building a second temple. Uh, we got the Messianic Prince. That's talked about in Daniel 9, 25. And it says the high priest Yehoshua, uh, which I believe is in Zechariah's prophecy. The not by spirit, not by, I mean, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit. That, that, that Yehoshua, that one in there. Then it says, um, this is also the patriarchs who are regarded as anointed kings. Tehillim 105.15, it says, my anointed ones, okay, do not touch my anointed ones, my prophets and my prophets do no harm, okay? So I would actually like to take a moment and get into the Tehillim on this. Tehillim 105, verse 15. Let's see what they got. By the way, I just flipped this book open and on 285B and Tehillim 139, it's talking about uh, where I were where, where I to say, surely the darkness of night will shroud me. The night will be as light opposite me. Commentary with the light that God created on the first day of creation. 
Adam could see from one end of the world to the other. But when God foresaw the corrupt deeds of the generations of the flood and the dispersion, i.e. Noah's time and the Tower of Babel time, he arose and hid this light. He prepared it for the righteous in the future. For 36 hours the light served Adam and Hava from their creation at midday on Friday until after Shabbat. Throughout Friday night, the light continued to shine. Then as the sun set at the end of Shabbat, darkness began to approach. Adam became frightened. As it is written, I said, surely the darkness will shroud me. It says the snake, the embodiment of the evil nation will come and attack me. The word for shroud me, Yeshufani, shares a root with the word for hiss at, as in God's words to the primordial snake, uh, Bereshit 3.15. Adam thus said, I fear the one to whom it was said, he will pound your head and you will hiss at his heel. Okay, so... Just uh, coming across things and reading them as I go. Another page, 258b. The commandments are observed, are to be observed, not merely remembered. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's the whole thing about observing Hashem's commands. Telling 119, 176. I will get to 105, I promise. Okay, 105.15. Made it all the way back to 90. I don't know how I did that. Okay, 105, 19. Almost there. Refraining from reading all this awesome fire that is in front of me. Mm, they did a whole thing on bread and wine. Good night. Okay, 105, 15. Says... God protected Sarah and Rivka, the wives of our patriarchs, when Paro and Avimelech sought to violate them. Because everything that happened to Abraham also happened to Yitzhak, by the way. It's important to note. As it is with the father, so it is with the son. God also protected Yaakov from the designs of Levan. In the case of Rivka's abduction, as well as during Yaakov's flight. As well as Yaakov's flight from Levan, God warned Avimelech and Levan in a dream with the words, Do not touch. Okay? Which is El Tareu. Do not touch. Do no harm to them. And then it says, in regards to Sarah's abduction, God conveyed the message by afflicting Paro and Avimelech, which is Avimelech. So patriarchs and matriarchs, this is a midrash, it says, do not touch my anointed ones. This refers to the patriarchs, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, which again, my anointed ones is Meshicho. And then it says, and do no harm with my prophets. This refers to the matriarchs. So the wife of the Mashiach is literally a Navua, which is a, or a Navia, Slika, 
which is a prophet, a prophetess, a female prophet. So then it says this, these prophets are Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, who were prophetesses. For example, the Torah states the words of Asav, i.e. his intention to kill Yaakov. They were told to Rivka, Bereshit 27:42. Yet these words of Asav were only spoken in his heart to himself. And verse 41 of that same chapter. Who then told Rivka about them? The divine spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh told her. Uh, footnote. Talmud, Megillah 14a, lists seven prophetess, seven prophetesses, Sarah, Miriam, Devorah, Kana, Abigail, Huldah, and Esther. This seems to contradict the Midrash cited above, which refers to Rivka, Rachel, and Leah as prophetess. Mar Maharshal suggests a distinction. The Talmud speaks of prophetesses who were given prophecies to convey to others. The Midrash speaks of prophetesses who receive prophecies for their own knowledge. There you go. Anointed ones, Meshiko, first of the patriarchs. So when we talk about Mashiach, we're talking about patriarchs. This is probably why there's that Midrash Tankuma that Mashiach will be greater than the patriarchs, greater than Moshe. This is the great mountain before Zerubbabel. All right. So back on track to our Tehillim 2, Tehillim 1-2 thing. It says, so yet I have yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree Adonai has said unto me, you are my son. This day have I begotten you. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. Yearn for purity, lest he be angry, kind of thing. That's another interpretation for kissing the son, is to yearn for purity. And it says, yet perish, and yet perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Mashiach isn't going to have much wrath that has to go out, because just a little bit goes a long way. That's where that comes from. Footnote. This warning is to obey God's anointed, like his Mashiach, which is fairly translated Mashiach. Also here described as son. So Abraham, son of God, Yitzhak, son of God, Yaakov, son of God, because Meshiko, my anointed ones, those are all called sons of God. So what does that mean if we're B'nai Abraham, Yisav Yaakov, B'nai Sararif, Karakavelea, Ivriano Kebeet Hashem, Elokei get you some. Yeah, that means we're children of Mashiach. We're children of the Nevi, Naviim, the prophets. Because the, the patriarchs and the matriarchs are called Mashiachs and prophets. So that's who we are. We're children. We're we're a royal nation, a holy priesthood, a kingdom of priests. Royal priesthood, holy nation. There we go. Royal priesthood, holy nation. Okay. Um, and then it says, likewise, this is conveyed in Devarim 
the prophecy previously discussed in chapter 7, where Mashiach is described as a prophet like unto Moshe. And, quote unquote, whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak, I will require it of him. Devarim 18, 19. And it says the warning also attaches to a scripture in the book of Shemot, where Mashiach is revealed as the Malak Adonai. So Memtet is Mashiach Yeshua. And here it is right here coming down from Tehillim 2 by way of chapter, um, what chapter is this? Chapter 9 of what the rabbis know about Messiah, page 46. And it says that, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not. Shemot 23, 20 through 21. So yes, Mashiach is the angel of Hashem, the son of God, the king of Israel, the son of David. Also a patriarch. All right. So, yeah, so the nations have to be obedient to Mashiach. So when we are bringing in divine sparks and estranged sons, we're substituting through Yosef and, uh, you know, bringing them in and we're being attached to Hashem as well. So this is Yosef's mission is to do that, to bring in estranged sons, transform them to become sons of God. This is indeed what Yosef did when he, I'm back in the Kehert Humash Hasidic Insights. Uh, again, this is Vayikra 2733, Parsha commentary. And it says, Yosef, when he, when his brothers exiled from the Holy Land to the estranged land of Mitzrayim, felt completely estranged from their father in Hashemayim. Yosef ensured that they remain true B'nai Yisrael. Yosef's mandate is that all of us to transform the world and all inhabitants. This is Yosef's mandate, basically. Yosef's mandate to us is to transform the world, all its inhabitants, which appear to be other, which appear to be people of other languages, of other tongues, which is why having the gift of speaking in tongues comes quite a bit in handy. Because how do you talk to a Chinese person if you don't know Chinese? You intercede through the Spirit and, and pray that Hashem will speak through you uh, the message that needs to be heard. And that will be speaking in tongues. It's not this jibber-jabber, fall on the floor while the organ is playing screaming type talking in tongues it is civil conversation transmitting the torah to the 70 nations anyway because remember speaking in tongues the word for tongues is lashon which is the word for language that's a, a hashtag hebrew drop okay so anyway these others and who are strange to and are strange from godliness transform them into entities whose lineage and what is their lineage the divine source that's literally what it says so if you want to talk about having a lineage that's pure a lineage that's jewish if you talk about anything that has to be like well who's your ancestry who's your family 
when you cause someone who is estranged from Hashem to be brought back and transformed, to be taken from mundane and to holiness, to be brought from not godliness into godliness, they now have a new lineage, which is called the divine source. And that divine source is what Mashiach was talking about in Yochanan chapter three, where he says, you must be born again, born from above. And it says, this is apparent both to them and to all. That's from Lakute Sikot, volume 26, page 90. So I start there because I want to drop this Ari Goldwag drop here. Rabbi Ari Goldwag. Like I I every time I listen to this podcast, I'm like, dude, I only know you as a singer. Like, seriously, you're a rabbi too, and you do podcasts? Like what? So anyway, I'm just gonna let him talk. And here we go. So he points out something amazing. I'd like to read this inside. This is in chapter Darke Achaim. This is at the end of the fifth chapter of Darke Achaim in Madrigus Adam. From the time that the brothers came to Egypt until the moment that they heard from Yosef, they didn't know all of the, all, the entire story. They were not aware that they were standing in front of their brother Yosef until the moment that they heard the words, I am Yosef. They had numerous questions about the way that this this Egyptian uh, ruler was dealing with them. First of all, he didn't understand all of the confusing things that were going on. So many people came, they knew this. Many people came and weren't accused of being spies. Only they were being accused of being spies. Second of all, this Egyptian ruler asks them to bring Benjamin. It was so strange to them. What does he need this the, the other brother for? What does he want from this? When they found that golden goblet in the bag of Benjamin, they got they 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 were they were extremely afraid. They didn't know how to judge the entire situation. And the questions kept coming until they heard two words. I am Yosef. The moment that he revealed to them that, this was, that it was Yosef talking to them. All the questions were gone retroactively. All of the, all of the, chashodos, um, all of the, all of their suspicions melted like snow. And immediately they understood that the entire, the entire story, all that Yosef had done to them was for their benefit. And as he explains, what was the benefit? Because. Yosef knew that no matter what, Binyamin was going to have to bow down to them. It was going to, it would have, it would have extended much further if Yosef hadn't hastened the story by doing all these tricks in order to bring down Benjamin. All right. So I ended it right there because he continues to go on, but I hope you just heard him say that everything with Yosef and his brothers could have played out, but Yosef hastened it. And I'm talking about hastening the redemption for us as B'nai Yisrael. 
And I want to cite to you the Agarit chapter 11, 24 through 26 says, for if you were cut from a wild olive tree and contrary to nature were grafted into one that is cultivated. Which, by the way, if you were of any other faith besides being Jewish and now you are a part of Jewish Slika, if you're a part of being Torah observant, you know, as a Jew, this is called being grafted in the cultivated tree. And so when you're grafted, when you're grafted into a cultivated tree, i.e. graftivated. Yeah, I was about to say that graftivated into this culture tree, you take on the culture the culture doesn't change because you have been grafted in. You were the one who were formerly in darkness, who were formerly dead, and now you've been brought to life. And a dead person, their former way of life is gone. Okay, if you if you resurrect a dead person, they don't live like a dead person. They live like an alive person. Okay, so the rules of what what it considers to be dead are no longer a thing. So this wild olive tree, it coming off of that and coming onto a cultivated olive tree, you join the culture. You don't bring in the wild child. Okay, the wild child stays on the other tree, but you become civilized anyway, or graftivated. All right. So hashtag be graftivated. How much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you will not be conceited. A hardening in part has come upon Israel until the full number of the Goyim, the Gentiles, the pagans have come in. And again, these Goyim Gentile pagans will be graftivated. So that means they will not be bringing a Hanukkah bush. They will not be hopping along looking for eggs, talking about Yeshua is risen. They won't be doing that. They will be keeping the Pesach, celebrating Shavuot. They will be counting the Omer in between those two holidays. Okay? They will be Torah observant. They will eat kosher. Anyway, says, And so all Yisrael will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove godlessness from Yaakov. Side note, he, I can't believe he just quoted that. Like, a redeemer will come to Zion. Uva le Zion. Wow. Hey, Uva le Zion. That's literally in our sedur <laughs> after we finish our prayer service. It's like when we get ready to talk about the Elenu, right before the Elenu, we're doing the Uva le Zion. A redeemer shall come to Zion. Okay. And that's all about bringing in the Goyim. And again, we're talking about going down and gathering in those sparks and everything. So now understand this, my fellow Lapidim, my fellow Avengers. What we are doing as being Avengers, as we are being Lapidim, we are doing all sorts of things that hasten the redemption. So guess what? Since that is the case, the Kleepot are working overtime. And what are we supposed to do? Work double overtime. If the Kleepot and the Yetzer is going to 
try to outdo us. And if Amalek is going to continue to punch us in the mouth, we better learn how to fight. And Yosef knew how to fight because he played all sorts of tricks. He pretended like he didn't know Hebrew. He pretended like he was divining and doing all sorts of sorcery with his cup. He was uh, setting the brothers up with all sorts of shenanigans, planting uh, evidence on them, making it seem like they were thieves. He kept calling them spies no matter what they did. He locked up Shimeon and sent the brothers back to uh, Canaan to go get Benjamin. And then when Benjamin got there, he tried to keep Benjamin and then tried to send the brothers back. You know, and all sorts of stuff. And so it's like this whole thing. But this sped up the redemption. So we need to understand that's the power that we're operating in, which means it is not a joke. Okay, so we feel the literal shield and now the the hammer drops that Rabbi throws down on the Alio today. When I am doing the Hopter podcast with Hasis Baz, I literally feel like the Falcon is flying next to me and just machine gunning and just taking people down, you know. And, uh, you know, when the Hulk gets all excited and rambunctious and starts smashing the place, you know, that happens. So understand this if you are truly embracing your mantra and your mantle as a Avenger. Use it to the fullest. And for those of us, because not everybody's called to be a hero. Some of us need to be people who can do other things. Okay. Uh, I am not a great cook. I can I can make some mean pancakes. But when it comes to making old eggs and all sorts of stuff like that, I can't do that. And thank Hashem that there are other people who know how to do that. Makala being one of them. Shouts out to Makala. Um, very, very distinguished not to be confused with the rest because, you know, she the best and she is nothing less. And that's what I call success anyway. Um, you know, so yeah, she, turns out she's also a hero too. She's also the wasp. Okay. But anyway, um, yeah, so we need to, we need to do our thing and understand we will see Mashiach sooner than later. And I pray that Hashem will bring him even this year. Because it's way overdue. I'm ready to go home. Exile has been fun. Making proselytes is great. But uh, I'd rather do that from the new Yerushalayim with Mashiach on the throne. How about you? So, hastening the redemption. That's what we get to do as B'nai Yosef. And now, why is this the case? And why am I even making this podcast? Why am I even all over the place with sources? Because... We're in the middle of County Omer. We're past the middle of County Omer, and Shavuot is coming at us. And personally, uh, Thanos has been stabbing me repeatedly. I feel like I'm reliving the end of Avengers Infinity War almost every day. And I'm tired of it. I'm fighting back. I need to do what I'm supposed to do, and I need to learn how to not get stabbed. <laughs> okay? Which is... The meaning of Shavuot, like we're headed towards the festival that's about understanding the substitution and the transformation of those who are estranged from God into those who are sons. The uh, like the fact that they're estranged is a concealment. So we got to bust through that and let them know, actually, you think that you're separate from God, but you're not. 
And then also understanding that who we are is being busted through. You know, the verse that talks about putting off the old and bringing in the new. Like, let's let's look at that. Um, see. Hang on here. Let me get my source. Yeah, so this is the Agarit to Ephesus, chapter 4. I'm going to begin in 23. So this is what happens when we're in Mashiach, which is the name of Hashem, which are the festivals and which is the Torah. It says, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God and true righteousness and kedusha. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Stop lying, basically. Okay. Anyway, and it says, for we are members of one another. We are members of one another. And the Agarit to Rome, chapter 6, verse 4, it's put this way. We therefore were buried with him through the mikveh and brought into Mavit, which is death, in order that just as Mashiach was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. Now, this is why no matter who you are, you have to undergo a mikvah and Mashiach Yeshua because you have to die. You have to take on that semblance of death in order because unless you die, you can't be walking in newness. Okay. Uh, and then in um, the Agarit to Rome, chapter 13, verse 14 says, instead, clothe yourselves with Adonai, Mashiach, Yeshua, and make no provision for the desires of the flesh. The Agarit to Ephesus 2.10, for we are God's workmanship created in Mashiach to do Ma'asim Tovim, which only way to do Ma'asim Tovim is the mitzvot. And then it says, which God prepared in advance as a derech hachaim, a way of life. If you really want to live, the way to live is to do Torah avodah chesed. Any other kind of way of living is not really living. It's just existing. This is why the the Torah uh, commentaries bring down that a rasha, a wicked person, is considered dead even while they're alive. Because a rasha is a person who does evil. They substitute goodness for bad stuff okay instead of doing good they do bad stuff okay and uh the agarit to Colossi chapter 3 verse 10 it says and have put on the new self which is being renewed and the da'at of the demut hashem and remember the demut of Hashem is Mashiach, which is the Torah, which is what Moshe talked to in the Holy of Holies, which is called the image of Hashem. Okay, and this is our new self. We should be looking like what Moshe was speaking with in the Kadosh Kadoshim. Okay, and that is the only way to be that way is to constantly be renewed in our Torah. Constantly be renewed in how we pray. 
constantly be renewed in how we do acts of kindness. This is the this is the essence of Shabbat. This is why it's important to take to heart counting this Omer. Take each prayer of counting the Omer as if you've never done it before and and be like, OK, so this is the first time I'm doing this prayer. So that kind of zeal and excitement, fire, enthusiasm, that's what you do. You bring that into your bracha. And as you're standing and praying, you're going through the sefirot and you're calling it out. Understand that our words have that power. So when we say that we're rectifying uh, chesed, sheb, hod, okay, we may or may not understand what that means, but we're doing it. And our words are having that effect. Those are stamped and approved words because we spoke them. Which is why it's important that when we speak words, Mashiach truly said this, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Because guess what? That's how the heavenly court sees it. You say you love Hashem, then it's stamped and approved that you love Hashem, so you better live up to it. You say that Mashiach is, is your king, that you're attached to him, that you truly walk as a Lapid, that you are a Avenger, that you are a observant believer a observant jewish believer centered in messiah yeshua it's like you better live up to that because that's how you're seen okay that's why it's important to understand that the agarit to rome uh chapter 10 verse 9 that says confess with your mouth and you have to confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart because that's truly what happens i was telling a group of lapidniks and salina that, uh, you know, because the question was asked, you know, how do we, is there anything we do to, to dedicate things that are completely consecrated for such thing like a Kiddush cup? How do you, how do you make a Kiddush cup, you know, uh, set apart to be a Kiddush cup? Number one, uh, th I didn't even say this. I don't know why I didn't, but I think because we already knew it, but just to put this out generally, whether we know it or not. The way to sanctify a Kiddush cup is to buy specifically a Kiddush cup because that cup was made specifically to be a Kiddush cup and you purchasing it and now becomes your sanctified Kiddush cup. But if you have a cup that was currently not a Kiddush cup and that could be a Kiddush cup, it's beautiful, it's distinct, it doesn't look like your normal glass that you'd pour water in, you want that to be a Kiddush cup, well first you make the declaration over it and then you tovel it, okay? And if you don't have a mikvah to tovel it in, then you uh, you do whatever you can. Take your hand washing cup and tovel it that way. Use your hand washing cup to uh, tovel your kiddush cup and make it set apart. And you never use it for anything else again. So, uh, anyway, that's just important to know with Shabbat that that's what we're doing. We're having this anointing fall upon us that is going to take us beyond any words any song any prayer that is whispered in this world and the next world and the next world and the next world Layla. hey ho hey Layla. 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 So now, to Rabbi Griffin, a.k.a. Captain Israel.
corresponds to our love of God and his love for us. He set us free because he loves us. Now listen to this. It says, then, then we transition to Shavuot. It says, where we receive the Torah at Sinai. Listen to what Rabbi Monk says. He says, Shavuot corresponds to the phase of, Avraham, of Avraham's son Isaac, who added the concept of obedience to his father's concept of love and showed this by allowing himself to be bound to the altar. So therefore, which corresponds to Dean, to justice. So therefore, Shavuot is related to the only begotten son who was sacrificed? Are you kidding me? The giving of the Torah is directly corresponds to the Akidah? So our love has to be coupled with our obedience, which happens to be illustrated by the son who gave up his life at his father's will. The Torah equals Isaac equals laying down on the altar. There you go. So that's also Shavuot. And not that I need to tag to that, but just to tag to that. If you understand how to express love of Hashem, love of Hashem is expressed by the marks that are impressed upon your life. That shows that you laid your life down and that you continue to lay your life down. Because the way the Akedah continues is daily through the Tamid. Because the Tamid ultimately is a reflection of the Akedah, which is morning and afternoon. Which, when do we, what do we do morning and afternoon? Shema Yisrael, I lay my life down for you in love. Okay, yeah, anyway, that's literally what we're doing. We're saying, Hashem, buy me up like Abraham did Yitzhak, and make sure I can't move when you lay me on the altar, because I willingly lay my life down. No man takes my life, but I lay it down willingly. This is why I can't see Torah observance as man-made rules that I'm following, because I'm laying my life down willingly for you, Hashem. Yeah, Shavuot. That's what's up. Now, the Jewish wisdom of the numbers. 70 is super important because that is the Ayin of Mashiach, which is currently missing from his name. When we hear Yeshua refer to as J-C, like J-E-S-U-S-C-H-R-I-S-T. Uh, when the church proclaims him as that and when uh, colloquial... Uh, Hebrew today calls him that three-letter name Yod Shin Vav, uh, which is apparently an acronym for "May His Name Be Erased." Uh, either way you slice it, pun intended, Yeshua's name has been separated. You know the Ayin is missing, so you have that is the gematria of the tree or the stick of Yosef. As brought down by Benny B, they have the same gematria. So, Yeshua, deficient of the Ayin, is the same gematria as Eitz Yosef, the tree of Yosef. And remembering the prophecy of Yehezekiel, that Hashem says, I'm going to take the Eitz Yosef and take the Eitz Yehuda and put them together in my hand. And that'll be the redemption. So, when we complete the name of Mashiach, bringing together the two Mashiachs, 
the Ben Yosef and the Ben David, which is Yosef and Yehuda. That's the final redemption. And guess what? As Lapidim, we get to speed that up. And so let us do all that we can to see that day because that's how we need to live. And um, the reason why we get to do it is because it's almost been over 2000 years and Hashem doesn't allow his righteous to suffer for more than three days. And besides, Kepha literally says that we should hasten the day. And I want you to I want you to get this in your spirit, okay? Because if we don't if we just if we're just fine with being Jewish believers and just living life in this exile, we can do that. There'll be no problem as far as why are you doing this? You need to be focused. Uh, you're not Jewish or illegitimate. There, you, you no, that's not a thing. Because guess what? If you if you want to stay in exile and if you want to not hasten the redemption, the final redemption, and you don't want to be all weird and stuff, then guess what? Uh, Hashem takes that as apathy. And remember, Hashem is the shade at your right hand, so he's going to respond, Mita Kenegat Mita. He'll let this exile play out. He ain't going to... Uh, he got all the time in the world because he's outside of the world, so he's outside of time. We, however, don't have that luxury. The reason why we've been in exile for 2,000 years is because no one has stood up and, and done this as a, min uh, a minion. At least 10 people, you know, Zippor Shear brought down, like Zippor Shear, Sika, uh, may the memory of Zippor Shear be blessed, I mean, but Zippor Aish brought down this fact that, you know, look at who were in the upper room in Yerushalayim when the Shavuot of Acts chapter 2 happened, it was 120, and how many thousands of people used to follow Yeshua, and how many thousands of people did he appear to in his resurrected form? I was just like, wow. I was like, that's deep. That's really deep. You, you got, do you know what you just said? And she's like, uh-huh. Yeah, I know. I, I made that firebird and I, I shot it. You know, that's, that's what I do. I'm like, you need to get some, you know what? I said, it was so funny because I picked up my phone and said, yeah, I'm going to help you up. Right. I'm going to help you right now. What I'm going to do is I'm going to call the fire marshal. I'm going to call him right now. Just, we're going to take care of this. You just hang tight. I will help you. I promise. I'm going to call the fire marshal. He will put you out. But anyway, this is how you threaten other Avengers when they get too crazy. Like for the Hulk, I'll be like, you want me to get the Veronica? I will get the Veronica, the Hulkbuster, you know. Anyway, um, and I tell Cap, I'm going to take a shield. But of course, we know that ain't going to happen. So that's a failed uh, comment. Anyway, uh, back to the subject. If we don't hasten the redemption, Hashem will let us chill in exile and make things horribly worse. Okay, you really want to see some crazy stuff? Stay in exile. You really want to see revelation take place? Stay in exile. Okay, yes, I'm talking about the back of the Bible. If you want to see all that crazy stuff, dragons and stars falling out of the sky and things being on fire, water supply all completely jacked up, a third of the population, which is over billions and millions of people dying. You want to see that? Be cool living in exile. I don't know about you, but I don't want to see that. I don't want people to die just because 
I'm not standing up to my responsibility. So embrace our responsibility as B'nai Yosef. Lay our life down and cause your life to be marked up so people can go, oh, look, it's the one who was offered. Okay? So anyway, um, and you can encourage other people to lay their lives down and offer. Because guess what? If we, if we have a whole entire globe that's beaming with the love of Hashem, that's a magnet for the final redemption to show. Okay? This is why it is codified that Mashiach is going to come when the world is completely righteous or completely wicked. It's completely easy to make the world wicked, but it's super amazing and it shows that you care when you desire to cause the world to be completely righteous side note that doesn't literally mean everyone in the world is righteous that means just enough like a remnant which is the picture we learned in medzora when the way that you can detect leprosy the cohen can detect leprosy if the skin is all white that person's actually pure and if there's little blotches in the skin, then it, it's leprosy, you know, and it depends on the pronouncement of the Cohen. And so you just look at all that and that's the case. So anyway, just want to point that out that in order for our skin to be all white, there should be as many proselytes as possible because proselytes are literally leprous patches on the skin of a Jew. And Mashiach is considered to be the leper Messiah, and he's redoing his bandages one by one, waiting on the moment when Hashem will send him from the gates of Rome. So all of that to say, if we start filling up our skin with white patches, at some point we're going to be pure, and that's when the redemption is going to happen. So let's do it. Make proselytes. Don't be scared. Second Kepha 3.12, the Agarit of Kepha, Agarit Bet, okay, the second letter he wrote, says in chapter 3, verse 12, as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Another translation says, as you anticipate and hasten the coming of the day of Hashem. What's he talking about? It says in verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to conduct yourself in holiness and in godless, godliness as you anticipate and hasten the coming of the day of God when the heavens will be dissolved by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with God's promise, we are looking forward to a new Hashemayim and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And it's talking about the fact that there is all this consuming with the fire. Well, guess what? There is a fire and it's called Torah. So if we consume the world with the fires of Torah, why have the fires of destruction be so great? Because the, the thing about hastening the return of Mashiach is also what's called sweetening the judgments which salt is literally, I brought this down in Parsha of Vayikra, that salt is something that mitigates judgment. And so we're the salt of the earth, right? We're B'nai Yosef, right? We can mitigate the judgment. We can make the judgment not be as harsh, okay? We can cut it down, if you will. 
And so this is the, the whole reason why if we understand the hasten the return that, yes, judgment is still going to come on the world, but it doesn't have to be to the scale and the magnitude that it would have been. How do we know that? Because if Paro would have let the people go during the second or the third plague, he would have never had the death of the firstborn. He would have never had the plague of darkness. He would have never had any of the rest of the plagues that were after plague number three. So, you know. If you hearken to the voice of Hashem and do what he says, desire what he desires, there you go. All right, so the number 70. So when we look at the number 70 in the Jewish wisdom of the numbers, it says this. The final end point of creation is where Yisrael, observing the Torah, returns to Yerushalayim, the city of holiness. Which is why we have to understand, everybody, as Lapidim... Our aim and our goal is Eretz Yisrael, literally the new Yerushalayim, third temple with Mashiach, where we can be all Yeshama Simka Uvechusos Yerushalayim Kokatan Vekokala. Okay, yeah. There will yet be heard the sounds of rejoicing in the streets of Yehuda and Yerushalayim, the voice of the bride, the voice of, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, joy and gladness. Yeah, reuniting again. All right. Reunited and it feels so good. Uh, uh, uh. Okay, anyway. Wow. Lots of singing. I guess the redemption's near. That's cool. So anyway, city of Jerusalem, that's our holiness, city of holiness and worship of God. Approximately, there are 70 names of God, 70 names of Israel, 70 names of Torah, 70 names of Jerusalem. Nevertheless, all these parts come together in a whole unified state. The Jewish people exist to integrate all the many forces in the universe towards the one God. This is why we gather in our zizi when we say the Shema. This is uh, significant to the fact that this is what we're supposed to do with creation. We're supposed to unify it. Bring it all in together. Bind it all up as a sheaf so it can bow before Yosef. I mean, Hashem. I mean, Mashiach. I mean, whoa, what? In man's inner world, all his 70 forces and all the years of his life must be directed towards the single goal. You shall love Adonai your God, Bekolevavka, with all your heart, Bekolnavshika, with all your soul, Bekolmeldeka, which all your resources. It says, in the outside world, Yisrael will reunite the dispersed 70 nations to fulfill the 70 facets of Torah. 70 facets of Torah. This is why if you come up with an interpretation, why you read this source, it says this, you read another source, it says this, and it's like, why is the answer yes? Because there are 70 ways to elucidate all these all these uh, commentaries. So you can't get stuck in one because there's at least 69 more to go. All right. And somehow they all become one when it comes before Hashem, which is why we so need Mashiach. So he can bring all these things that have been so just unfortunately maimed throughout the centuries. It's like, 
taking uh, Torah commentaries and all sorts of sources and treating them in such perverted ways. And it's just like, well, all of these, there's a unifying way to bring them all together. And this is why, what do we know? What do we know is such a wonderful uh, humility stance that we all must take and we all must submit ourselves to because we, at the end of the day, you know, absolutely nothing. All right. So footnote on this 70 to one here, it says every commandment subdivided like a hammer smashing a rock into 70 languages. This is from Shabbat 88b. The divine word at Sinai split into 70 languages and was heard throughout the world. This is from the Maharal and Teferit Yisrael 31. Later, when crossing the Jordan into the Holy Land, the Torah laws were inscribed in 70 languages onto stone monuments in order to be accessible to members of every nation. See Sota 32a, based on Devarim 27.8. To now we say, <clears throat> the 70 fasts of Torah, the nations will come in and fulfill that and proclaim the oneness of God in the Messianic era, which is, on that day, by Yom Ha'hu, by Yom Ha'hu, Adonai, Echad, Ushemo, 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 Echad. Zechariah 14:9. On that day, God will be one and his name will be one. Bayom Ha Hu. Okay, Bayom Ha Hu. His name will be one. And then it says, Then, as the saying goes, the whole will be greater than the sum of all the parts. This is why. When the ayin is added to Yeshua's name, when there is global revelation of Mashiach Yeshua and his gospel being preached, that's when the end will come. Drop it back to 50 because 50 is the day of Shabbat. And I was telling the Lapid group in Salina that, you know, nowhere in the Torah does it say that Shabbat is the giving of the Torah. But yet everyone and their grand sister, it seems like when they promote Shabbat, talks about the giving of the Torah. And it's just like, how do we come up with that? And it's just like, this is a subtle hint that there's an oral Torah. Just saying. But uh, here's why. I was letting them know this is a pocket knife right here for everybody. If anyone comes at you and be like, yeah, so show me where it says in the text that I need to be celebrating Shavuot and the giving of the Torah. And why would that be any different from me saying, well, yeah, I have this tree and it's representative of the birth of Messiah. She's like, okay, well, show me in the oral Torah where it says to celebrate Messiah's birth in the winter month and set up a tree and it correlate with the solstice. It's like, well, fine. If you want to come at me with that, then come at me with how you celebrate the Torah in the month of Sivan and call that a pilgrimage festival. And you're offering these two loaves of bread. I don't see anywhere in there where it says you need to celebrate the giving of the Torah. It's like, okay. All right. So you know that uh, there's this thing called counting the omer, right? 
and it starts on the 16th in Nissan, but most people say it starts on the Sunday after Pesach, which is why the whole Resurrection Sunday is not cool, because you're now aligning yourself with those who count the Omer on a Sunday as opposed to the 16th in Nissan, which could happen on a Wednesday. Which, by that case, you would be way behind, and the Torah will come, and you'll miss the bus, literally. So, it's just like, so, the only way to know when Shabbat is, is you have to start with your Omer, which comes right at the foot of Pesach, because Pesach is called the Shabbat, and this is why it says on the morrow of the Shabbat, literally the rest day, so the day after the Shabbat, which is Pesach, the day after Pesach, which is the 16th of Nisan, Pesach is the 15th of Nisan, you count your Omer for 50 days, you count seven weeks and 50 days, which means the morrow of the seventh week which is brought down in Leviticus 23, the morrow of the seventh week, if you count seven weeks, that's 49 days. And the morrow of that 49th day, which is the plus one, which is the following day, which is the 50th day, is the beginning of the eighth week. But we don't count eight weeks. We just count to that 50th day. On that 50th day, we're to have a holy convocation. Now, what happened in the wilderness when the children of Israel left Mitzrayim on Pesach traveled through the wilderness for 50 days they came to this place called sinai and the at, at the foot of the mountain and hashem started with the shofar blasts and the trumpets and the the fires dancing around the camps and people were dying and resurrecting and, and hashem was speaking yeah that's called shavuot so that's what that day is and we bring that new meal offering that's what acts chapter 2 is talking about that's why kepha was talking about resurrection on Shavuot because Shavuot is about life and resurrection new life and resurrection because when you're resurrected you're walking in what's called newness of life so this is why we have to understand that our Modeani Lefaneka we gratefully thank you Adonai our God that you mercifully return our soul to us when we wake up every day is 160th of the resurrection and so we begin to walk in newness of life as it were every single day which is why we do the hand washing, because again, you have to immerse yourself. The hand washing is the equivalent of a mikvah if you don't have a mikvah. So, you know, uh, we're already immersing ourselves into death of Messiah, you know, for those of us who understand that when we do our hand washing after the resurrection. So, yeah. So all of that to say uh, we do that. And so these 50 days teach us when Pesach or when Shavuot is, which is why the whole understanding was, is it the seventh of Sivan or is it the sixth of Sivan? It's like, well, when is the 50th day after Pesach? And it's like, oh, okay, it's the sixth of Sivan. Okay, okay, cool. That, that settles that because if you don't count your Omer, you, it, it makes you not ready for receiving the Torah. So if you miss a day, or if you don't count your days, or if you drop out, then you don't you don't get a Torah. You don't reach those levels of purity. So I didn't share all of that with the Lapid Salina group, but um, I am going to share this now. And it says this in the Jewish Wisdom of the Numbers, page three hundred four. Perhaps the count towards the number fifty finds its most well-known historic expression in the exodus and its aftermath it's important to know that moshe by the way before he went to mitzrayim to bring salvation to the jews because that's literally what it is is that 
he encountered Hashem at the burning bush on Mount Sinai. And Hashem said, go to Egypt and bring my people back to this mountain that they may worship me. So the end was already set forth in the beginning that when you go do the Exodus, the Exodus only happens because you're supposed to come to this mountain and receive the Torah. So the mountain where the Torah comes from is actually what connects the redemption to receiving the Torah. All right. So now the momentous event that commemorates the birth of the children of Israel as a nation was Yetziat Mitzrayim, which is the departure from Egypt. So the departure from Egypt is pretty much like giving birth to a new child. So that represents like childbirth. So when you think about childbirth, think about it as the children of Israel becoming a nation, being born again or born anew. It says, not only is there a twice daily remembrance of this milestone. Again, the Shema, the two Talmudim or the two Talmud lambs. It says, but much of mitzvah observance is marked Again, like an Akedah, like saying, I love Hashem, so where's your mark? Most people wear rings, but it's like, no, you should have a mark. I mean, you can have a ring. Rings are totally fine. I mean, that's uh, ancient practice that evolved because normally it was a something of value that was granted to the, the woman who was to be betrothed and engaged. And eventually it became a ring, and so now that's what we do. But ultimately, it's a distinguishing mark. Like the marks on Yitzhak, his hands and his feet were marked because it showed him laying himself down for Shem, which is the essence of Shabbat. So it says mitzvah observance is marked by repeated references to the Exodus. So you want to mark your life up and you want to show that you love Hashem, then you remember and observe Torah mitzvot through remembering that you were redeemed from Egypt. You don't eat kosher because Hashem said eat kosher. You eat kosher because you love Hashem and you were taken from Egypt. You were born again. You love Mashiach Yeshua. And if you love Mashiach Yeshua, there's marks to prove it. Okay, and then it says its central importance is due to this event celebrating the Jewish people's brand new state of existence. Okay, so children of Israel were literally born again when they were redeemed. So you've crossed over from death into life. That's also in the Agarit to Ephesus chapter two it says their deliverance was not only from physical slavery, but also from the Egyptian world view. Our perspective changes, our mindset changes, our the way we interpret and look at the word of God changes. We move from the Western mindset to the Eastern mindset. We move from a Gentile way of looking at the word of God and understanding the Chazal and the Oral Torah. We look at it with a Jewish mind, with the mind of Mashiach, the mind of Hashem, the mind of Moshe. How did Abraham view obeying Hashem? That's how we do it. Okay, that's our brand new state of existence. The Exodus released from them or released them from an outlook constrained by the natural realm. We no longer see things through natural. Okay, I, I feel like uh, so an example. Uh, I got to pay my tithe this week, or no, sleeka. 
I am going to pay my tithe this week and I don't have enough money in my account. Whatever money I have in my account that is according to the tithe, I will pay that. I will at least give a tenth of that which is in my account. So there we go. Uh, anyway, because technically you're supposed to bring a tenth of what you earn. But if you have somehow been in deficit and what you earned has been very greatly diminished and all you have is such and such amount you're like okay fine well i can't give what i earn technically but i can give what i a tenth of what i have so there's that so anyway the redemption caps catapulted wow the redemption catapulted yisrael into an alternate state of reality reality stone here it is it's called Yetziat Mitzrayim, Hashem taking you out of Egypt, twice remembering this through the Shema, being observant, marking up your life with the Akidah marks. Akidah bond, Aleph Sheen, that's the light, as I said in one of my songs. So if you want to be children of the light, you have an Akidah bond with Hashem, where it's not about you, it's about Him. Says, um, the ordinary for the extraordinary, it was the seminal event that would define what Yisrael had now become, which is God's chosen people. Their transcendental equality was, or their transcendental quality was now evident in the aftermath of their trailblazing liberation. The historic event of the Exodus is mentioned in the Chumash a total of 50 times. Okay, I've been ignoring footnotes, but I got to see that one. Footnotes, uh, let's see, 50 times mentioned. Footnote 7. Zohar 2, 85b. Sephes Ames. Shabbat Haggadol 56.34 for how the 50 references to the Exodus correspond to the 50 weeks and 50 Shabbats in every year. Seriously? See Vilna Gaon Takuni Zohar page 84. That's just wow. And the redemption process, which started on the first day of Pesach, finally reached its completion stage 50 days later at Sinai. God freed the children of Israel in order that they accept the Torah. Galatians, okay, the Agarita Galatia chapter 5 says, It is for freedom that Mashiach has set us free. There it is. Hashem freed the children of Israel in order that they accept the Torah. And this is why understanding that the Torah was engraved on the tablets, the word for engraved is the word for freedom. So it is for the engravings on the tablets that Hashem set us free. I mean, Mashiach set us free. I mean, Hashem set us free. I mean, yes. And then it says, The divine instruction given to Moshe at the burning bush was to lead Israel out of Egypt and bring the nation to serve God at that mountain. Footnote. You ready? Of course. It says Shemot 3.12. Shemot 3.12 is, is all that. It shows us the whole end from the beginning. 
The 50 stages of redemption required a minimum 49-day interval for their national metamorphosis. So however long it takes a caterpillar to turn into a butterfly, when we look at the fact of us becoming slaves from Egypt into free people who are now called the chosen nation of Hashem, it was a 49-day metamorphosis. And on the 50th day was when it was like, woohoo, look at us. We're so, we're so new. <laughs> Which, by the way, the, the Torah actually calls the new offering that you bring a minka hadasha. And I immediately thought Brit hadasha, Brit hadasha, minka hadasha. And a minka is the word used for offering. And when you look at the minka being renewed it's just kind of like okay so minka was when mashiach yeshua was offering offered and so we renew ourselves by offering ourselves as a minka like as a grain offering which is why we bring leavened loaves to bring on the altar which are not actually allowed technically if you go back to parashava yikra because we're not supposed to allow hamets or anything sweet by honey to be offered on the altar and it's just like well except for shabbat and it's all about the newness of man where our animal soul and our godly soul become united, which are the two loaves, which Rebbe Nachman brings down as the written and the oral Torah. And you put that, by the way, with the lamb. OK, you bring lambs with that. So you have to have your newness of man, your newness of your observance, your newness in your relationship with Mashiach. You have to put that kol echad and be waved before Shem. Okay, and then it says, um, prior to their liberation, the children of Israel had sunk to the nadir of spiritual spiritual impurity, to the nadir, wow, to the low level of impurity. And it says that this is called memtet sha'are tet or tuma. Memtet Sha'are Tuma, the 49th level of impurity. Wow. And literally, another way to see that is Esre Tuma, uh, the, the tens of Tuma, or the, because uh, we talk about the Shemone Esre, which again, uh, when you're doing Ivrit, Shemone is about eight, Esre is about 10. So you take the unit of 10 and add eight to it. And so we have the Memtet of the Esre, which would be the unit of 10s. So we got the 49 and units of 10s. So that's your uh, 40 plus your nine, because your units of 10, four 10s will be 40. And then you have the nine days, which is the tet. And then you take that tet and you go one more and that brings you into 50. So that is a level of impurity, the memtet levels there. But anyway, I was just looking at the word uh, sha'are, which is actually the word of gate or level. So uh, why else would I say that is because uh, Memtet is the one who can keep us from falling and to present us faultless? Really? Because uh, that's totally what Yehuda, Jude, as it is written, uh, talks about. Mashiach is able to keep us uh, blemish-free and faultless before Hashem, keep us from falling. And here it is, Memtet, 
Ezra Tuma. Lamemtet is the one who can teach us the way out of impurity. Okay, even if we reach down to the 49th level. So, anyway. Um, and obviously it goes beyond that because Memtet is Mashiach and he's beyond even the 50 gates. So, there's that. The Exodus introduced a spiritual cleansing process. Yisrael embarked upon a gradual path of ascension, one level after the other. If you notice, when we're counting our Omer, seven days, we're counting facets of one particular midot, one particular character trait. So we did Chesed, we did Gevura, we did Netzach, and now we're on Hod. Okay, so... All those facets are different sha'areen or sha'aray, different gates, different levels. And it says, Israel embarked upon this gradual path. And it says, theirs was a phenomenal rise from their degraded position on the 49th gate of impurity up to the 49th gate of purity. Finally, they arrived at the highest spiritual pinnacle on the 50th day. Footnote. On that says their development is beautifully symbolized in the 50 day ripening period of an apple tree. So we know that it takes an almond 21 days to blossom and it takes an apple tree 50 days to blossom. It says alluding to receiving the Torah. So this is why we know Shabbat is alluded to. The giving of the Torah because it's a 50 day process from when we were planted as a tree and when the fruit came forth. It takes 50 days. And when the apple comes forth, it's like the giving of the Torah. So you should know a tree by its fruit. And man is like a tree of the field. And it's just kind of like, wow. So how much Torah do you have and what kind of Torah do you have? What kind of fruits coming off your tree? And it says the Midrash notes that the apple takes 50 days to ripen. And this occurs in Savan. Shir HaSharim Rabbah Tutu. This is a reference to the 50 day period between Pesach and Shavuot. When the Jewish nation embraced Torah. The apple symbolically relates to the declaration. Na'ase Venishma. We will do and we will hear. Shabbat 88a. See Tosafot in the same location for how the apple refers to the Esrog. Seriously. Seriously. We're about to read Shabbat 88b or Shabbat 88a and then hopefully Shabbat 88b. But I just wanted to be known that uh, we dip our apple in honey during Rosh Hashanah. And that's the equivalent of saying our Naseve Nishma being sweet during a time of judgment. Rabbi Griffin brought down during the Aliyot of Parsha Amor that only Jews can bring out uh, sweetness and, and uh, bring kindness and uh, mercy during a time of judgment. And we're symbolizing that with our Torah uh, dipping into honey. Which tor the words of Torah are likened to honey, by the way, 
So we're taking our devotion to the words of Torah and dipping them and consuming them during a time of judgment. So we're sweetening the judgment when we dip our apple in the honey during Rosh Hashanah, which ties back to Shavuot. So how do you connect Shavuot to uh, Rosh Hashanah? You symbolize that by your Naseve Nishma dipped into the honey because your apple came from Shavuot. And now you're partaking of it on the Rosh Hashanah during the time of judgment. It's as if you were basically waving before Hashem that you accepted his judgment through your love and your sacrifice. Just like Rabbi Griffin just brought down about we go from the love festival and representing Abraham and Pesach to the son who was offered and the judgment uh, festival of Shavuot. So we take love and couple it with judgment. And then that's Shavuot going into the upcoming festival of Sukkot, which is after that. Long way after that. But yeah. So next it says. Um, Finally, they arrived at the high spiritual pinnacle on the 50th day. This period bridges the festivals of Pesach and Shavuot, the journey is alluded to in the mitzvah that famously links this time frame, the 50-day Sefirat HaOmer, the Omer count, from the date of the cutting of an Omer measure of the new crop of barley, which was brought up as an offering on the second day of Pesach. You shall count for yourselves... Seven weeks that shall be complete until the morrow after the seventh week, it shall be 50 days. Shavuot is the only festival not referenced by a specific date in the Jewish lunar calendar. Its classification as Zaman Matan Torah, the time of the giving of the Torah, is recorded as day 50 after the Exodus. So this is how we know it's called Shabbat, and this is how we, we know it's called the giving of the Torah, is because the Torah says 50 days you shall count, and that means Shabbat. So if anyone wants to know the biblical reference on Shabbat and why it's alluded to the giving of the Torah, that's because it's recorded as day 50 after the Exodus. Says this firm this firmly establishes Shabbat as the climax of the Exodus. In the relationship between God and Israel, the giving of the Torah at Sinai is termed on your wedding day. So now it's when we got married to Hashem. And the footnote on that says Shir Hashirim 3.11 and Rashi on that same section. Marriage celebrates the total commitment of two parties to each other. The obligations of a Jewish marriage arrangement are recorded in the Ketubah. The set monetary settlement allocated to a maiden was 50 silver shekels, equivalent to 200 zoos or dinars in Mishnaic currency. This psalm finds its perfect parallel in the giving of the Torah, where the contractual duties of Yisrael's wedding day came into effect on the 50th day 
after the exodus. So as you're counting your omer, you're collecting your monetary marriage settlement. Each day is a shekel that is seen as an omer that you're counting. Wow. So here God showed or here God showered his beloved nation with the best wedding gift of them all, the gift of Torah. The metaphysical quality of Torah often sees its depiction as seek li, which is qualities of the divine intellect, which is sakal with a yod added to it. Sakal li, basically, uh, in another way to, I guess, kind of say it, but the proper way to say it is seek li, which is my divine intellect, my divine skill, my divine wisdom, i.e. speaking of Hashem. Qualities of the divine intellect. This is why it says we've received the mind of God. Okay? Because the mind of God is the Sikli, which we receive on the 50th day after the Exodus. Which means, in order to have the mind of God, you have to purify yourself, put off the old, and put on the new. Its transcendental nature is over and above the physical existence of this world. Appropriately, Torah was given at the beginning of the eighth week after the Exodus. It taps into the symbolism of eight, transcending the natural realm, epitomized by the number seven. In this respect, 50, which follows the cycle of seven weeks, each consisting of seven days, shares the out-of-this-world quality of the number eight. And that is from Maharal Tiferet Israel 25. So now, Shabbat 88. And this is where we shall end. Let me give you the mind of God reference real quick. The mind of Messiah, I should say. Uh, yeah, first... Corinthians 2.16. So the Agarit to Corinth, chapter 2.16, says, well, starting 15, the spiritual man judges all things, but he himself is not subject to anyone's judgment. For who has known the mind of Adonai so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Mashiach. And this is also echoed in the Agarit to Rome, chapter 11, verse 34, who has known the mind of God, of Hashem, Adonai, or who has been his counselor. So, yeah, the mind, the counsel of Hashem, we have received that. And because of that, we're outside of a realm, outside of the natural realm. So. And a spiritual man judges all things. And when you look at how does a spiritual man judge, well, think about Hashem's judgments. And think about why we do the mitzvot. Because it's not us, it's Him. You know, and the only way to properly judge is to judge with the measure of righteousness. To judge with righteousness, actually. And so judging comes into the fact of. I will eat this particular thing and I will not eat this particular thing. And on this particular day, I will refrain from doing this particular action. That's called judgments. 
It's also known as distinctions. Okay? So, Shabbat 88. Shall we? Let's let's get into this. Because this is Shabbat and this is how we roll. Alright, so... The Gemara cites another objection. Come in here, that which was taught in a Bereta in the anthology called Seder Olam. In the month of Nisan, during which the Jewish people left Mitzrayim, on the 14th, they slaughtered their Paschal lambs. On the 15th, they left. And the day was Shabbat Eve. And that day was Shabbat Eve. From the fact that the new moon of Nisan was on Shabbat Eve, we can infer that the new moon of Iyar was on the first day of the week. And the new moon of Sivan was on the second day of the week. This is difficult to the opinion of Rabbi Yossi, who holds that the new moon of Sivan was on a Sunday. The Gemara answers that Rabbi Yossi could have said to you, whose is the opinion in this Bereta? It is the opinion of the rabbis. Therefore, the Bereta poses no difficulty to the opinion of Rabbi Yossi. And so... This is the whole thing about is it the 6th of Savan or the 7th of Savan. So we know it's 50 days, so we're going to go on from there. Okay. Going down a little bit. The Torah says, Moshe brought forth the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the lowermost part of the mountain. Shemot 19.17 Rabbi Avdimi Barhama Bar Hassa said, the Jewish people actually stood beneath the mountain, which is, again, this is the whole elucidation on we are not under the law because remember, um, the mountain was hovered over them and they had to accept the Torah. They were threatened, if you will, to accept the Torah, but we are no longer under that, uh, I guess that psyche where we need to be threatened to do the mitzvah because again, we are laying our life down willingly for Hashem. So we're no longer under the law. We're under the spirit, which the spirit has caused us to make ourselves like a bride. Spirit and the bride say, come. Okay, anyway. So they were under the mountain, which teaches that Hakadosh Baruchu overturned the mountain above the Jews like a tub and said to them, if you accept the Torah, excellent. If not, there will be your burial. Again, this is Tractate Shabbat 88a. So if you ever read Legends of the Jews about the floating mountain, Sinai, uh, this is where they got it from. Get you some. This is where the Midrashim, Midrash says, this is where it gets from. Says, um, Rav Ahab Bar Yaakov said, from here there is substantial caveat to the obligation to fulfill the Torah. The Jewish people can claim that they were coerced into accepting the Torah. But guess what? The Mashiach Yeshua were not. Because filled with the Spirit, you don't have to be coerced. Okay, and it says they were coerced into accepting the Torah, and it is therefore not binding. Rava, or Rava said, even so, they again accepted it willingly in the time of Rosh, as it is written, the Jews ordained and took upon them and upon their seed and upon all such as joined themselves unto them. Esther 9.27 And he taught the Jews ordained what they had already taken up on themselves through coercion at Sinai. So yeah, they were forced, but they also did it willingly. So there's not really a way to say that we're under the law. 
there's that. Um, going down here, it says, Rachel Laki said in the future, Hakadosh Baruchu will return them to us, as it is stated, and the ransomed of Adonai shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. The joy that they once had will once again be upon their heads. Rabbi Eliezer said when the Jewish people accorded precedence to the declaration, we will do over we will hear, a divine voice emerged and said to them, who revealed to my children this secret that the ministering angels use? As it is written, blessed or bless the Lord, you angels of his, you mighty and strength, and that fulfill his word, hearkening to the voice of his word. Tehillim 103.20. So side note, if you want to be considered to be like an angel, you obey the voice of Hashem. Just saying, Mashiach says, my sheep know my voice. And it says, at first the angels fulfill his word and then afterwards they hearken. Wow. Nasevinishma. Rabbi Hama, son of Rabbi Hanina said, what is the meaning of that which is written? As an apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. Under its shadow I delighted to sit, and its fruit was sweet to my taste. Shir Hasharim 2.3 Why were the Jewish people likened to an apple tree? It is to tell you that just as, an, just as this apple tree, its fruit grows before its leaves, so too the Jewish people accorded precedence to we will do over we will hear okay into uh 88b now it says um this is kind of interesting that uh shir harim shir 112 while the king was still at his table my spikenard gave off its fragrance its pleasant odor dissipated, leaving an offensive odor. Rob said, nevertheless, it is apparent from the verse that the affection of Hakadosh Baruchu is still upon us, as it is written euphemistically, gave off its fragrance. As the verse did not write, it reeked. <laughs> so what should have been an offensive odor, it still was called uh, a fragrance. And it says, and the sages taught, about those who are insulted and do not insult, who hear their shame and do not respond, who act out of love and are joyful in suffering. The verse says, and they that love him are as the sun going forth in its might. Judges 5.3.1. Yeshua epitomized this when he was insulted, but yet did not insult back when he was reviled but did not revile but yet acted out of love and took joy in his suffering so should we then it says here uh, with regard to the revelation at sinai rabbi yohanan said what is the meaning of that which is written adonai gives the word the women that proclaim the tidings are a great host this is telling 68.12. It means that each and every utterance that emerged from the mouth of Hakadosh Baruchu divided into 70 languages. A great host. 
And similarly, the school of Rabbi Yishmael taught with regard to the verse, Behold, is my word not like fire, declares Adonai, and like a hammer that shatters a rock? Yirmiyahu 23, 29. Just as this hammer breaks a stone into several fragments, so too each and every utterance that emerged from the mouth of HaKadosh Baruch Hu divided into 70 languages. The Gemara continues in praise of the Torah. Rabbi Hananel Bar Papa said, What is the meaning of that which is written? Listen, for I will speak royal things, and my lips will open with upright statements. Mishle 8.6 Why are matters of Torah likened to a king? Why are the devar of Torah, the word of Torah, likened to a king? Because devar can also mean a thing or a matter. And it says, this is to teach that just as a king has the power to kill and to grant life, so too the matters of Torah have the power to kill and grant life. This is why Yeshua is called the king of kings. He literally is the king over all the words of Torah, which are called kings. Okay, and then uh, Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi said, What is the meaning of that which is written? His cheeks are as a bed of spices, as banks of sweet herbs. His lips are lilies dripping with flowing myrrh. Shir HaSharim 5.13 It is interpreted homiletically from each and every utterance that emerged from his cheeks, i.e. the mouth of Hagadosh Baruch Hu, uh, the mouth of Hagadosh Baruch Hu, the entire word, world, so from each and every utterance that emerged from his cheeks, his mouth, okay, the mouth of Hagadosh Baruch Hu, the entire world was filled with fragrant spices. Every word that came from his mouth filled the world with fragrant spices. Yes, like the Ketorit in the Beit HaMikdash or in the Mishkan. It fills the world with spice, with fragrance. It says, and since the world was already filled with the first utterance, where was there room for the spices of the second utterance to go? The Holy One, blessed be he, brought forth wind from his treasuries and made the, Sika, and made the spices pass one at a time, leaving room for the consequences of the next utterances. And this is cool because why was there wind that blew into the room where the 120 were in Acts chapter 2? When the tongues of fire came, because that was the wind from Hashem's treasuries that was blowing in to bring in the fragrant aroma of the utterances of Hashem that came in the form of fiery tongues or languages. Uh, and then last one here. And Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi said, from each and every utterance that emerged from the mouth of Hagadosh Baruch Hu, the souls of the Jewish people left their bodies. As it is stated, my soul departed when he spoke. Shir HaSharim 5.6 and since their souls left their bodies from the first utterance, how did they receive the second utterance? Rather, God rained the dew upon them that in the future will revive the dead. And he revived them. As it is stated, you, God, poured down a bountiful rain. When your inheritance was weary, you sustained it. Tehillim 68.10 and Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi said, with each and every utterance that emerged from the mouth of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Jewish people retreated in fear 12 mil, and the ministering angels walked them back towards the mountain. As it is stated, the host of angels will scatter. 
Talim 68.13. Do not read the word as scatter, rather read it as they walked them. And interesting that Mashiach is going to uh, gather us in from the four corners of the earth with his ministering angels. So there's that. All right. So that was our Talmud references really quick on our uh, Midrashim drops before we index our time. I have no idea what I'm going to call this podcast other than Shavo get you some or something. I don't know. But um, in our understanding of what was going on with our 50 days here uh parsha yitro midrash says page 172 why was it that hashem did not present to his people the torah as soon as they left egypt why did he wait seven weeks between yetziat mitzrayim and mantan torah again another proof of why it was the 50th day that the Torah was given, which is known as Shavuot. So you have to understand Jewish literature in order to get that. And then it says, um, yeah, so we'll just, we'll keep it at that. So why did Hashem wait? And it's all about uh, purification and healing, basically, bringing us out of our slavery mentality. So that's why Shavuot is known as the giving of the Torah, because 50 days after Pesach, and 50 days after Pesach is when Hashem gave us the Torah, because we were ready for it through counting the Omer. Parsha Pinkus. Why in the world do we have the Tamid offering, and what is its significance? So check it out. The Tamid offering. Skipped it. Backing it up. Which, how do you reverse fly? I don't know. But I guess that's what we just did. Midrash says, page 382, Parsha Pincus. It says, Hashem commanded the Kohanim to offer two one-year-old unblemished lambs each day as communal corbinote. One was offered in the morning and the other in the afternoon. Footnote, these laws mentioned in Shemot 29, or these laws are mentioned in Shemot 29, verses 38 through 42. They're alluded to in Parashah Zav. Why are they repeated here? Well, number one, the first time the Torah mentioned these sacrifices was in reference to the inauguration of the Mishkan. Here, the daily sacrifices are prescribed as permanent offerings for all generations. That's from Rashi. Number two. Since this chapter treats the topic of Korbanot, the Torah again mentions these basic daily Korbanot for the purposes of thoroughness. Moreover, the laws are worded differently so that we derive many new points from them. That's from Ramban and Sifri. So this is why it's really cool when you understand not to get upset when you hear things repeated, when you hear insights repeated, when you hear verses repeated, when you hear prayers repeated, because guess what? They're going to be worded in a way that you're going to be able to derive new points from them. So this is talking about how the Torah says the same thing in a new way and gives you an opportunity to make a new insight. Why do you get a new insight from the same words that are repeated because you approach the insight, you approach the words 
with a new heart, with a new mind, with a new understanding. This is why we have to pray, Hashem, open my eyes that I may behold beautiful, wonderful things in your Torah. When we do that, we can read the same words and get new insights every single time. This is why I love reading the Akedah, because my soul is at probably its highest flame when I open up Bereshit 22, because this is so much about attaching myself to Mashiach and uh, the sacrificial death life that we live. So anyway, so it says, why did the Almighty command that communal sacrifices be brought in the morning and in the afternoon? The communal morning offering atoned for sins committed during the night. The afternoon offering atoned for those committed during the day. So day and night, if we have offenses before Hashem, Hashem's like, while you were yet sinners, I died for you. Just to let you know. Because by the way, the Tamid offering is called the leader of Yisrael. That's another topic for another time. Uh, yeah, Parsha Pink is just ridiculous. Okay. Hashem commanded each lamb offering shall be accompanied by a minka, which is a flower offering, and a Nesich, which is a libation. So you got to bring some bread and wine with your lamb. Okay, we need a full meal here. It says the Zedokim. Notice it's not the Zadokim, it's the Zedokim, which are called the Sadducees. It says they claim that the Torah intended the daily Tamid sacrifices to be offered by individuals since the source for the offering appears in the Torah in the singular form. This is why we are not solo scriptura, because if we were, we would miss this really crucial point. So it says ta'ase, not ta'asu. When you say ta'ase, that means you shall do, like just you, one person, singular. So anyway, um, however, according to our oral tradition, tradition, the daily offerings were communal corbinote from the temple treasury collected from the half shekel coins donated by the entire people. For a while, the Sadducees succeeded in confusing people. The days at the beginning of Nisan, when the sages publicly clarified that the issue or clarified the issue and convinced everyone of the truth of the oral teaching, were declared the days of the national rejoicing. Fasting and mourning were prohibited during the first eight days of Nisan. Okay, let me reread that. While the Sadducees succeeded in confusing people, because they're like, yeah, it's singular mitzvah. Only one person should bring the uh, tamid. So everybody bring a tamid. It's like, no, it's paid by the half shekel. So they were succeeded in confusing people. And it says the days at the beginning of Nisan, when the sages publicly clarified the issue and convinced everyone of the truth of the oral teaching were declared days of national rejoicing. So this is why we don't fast during the month of Nisan. Specifically, it says here during the first eight, because, you know, there is a fast during the month of Nisan. It's called the fast of the firstborn. So what is that really saying? But anyway, um, yeah, so I think that is it. So I pray that we all 
really bind ourselves up in our holy faith, build ourselves up in our holy faith. As we're counting the Omer, headed into Shavuot, morning and afternoon, reaffirming our Amuna to Hashem by declaring the Shema, and that we understand that um, we're living in the name of Hashem and making ourselves a vessel for Him. We can constantly be in a state of receiving divine consciousness, divine reality, which is why it's important for us to pray to be filled with the Spirit and to study as much Torah as possible, to pray as much as possible, and to do as many acts of kindness as possible. And all of this is to the hastening of the redemption of Messiah Yeshua, because when we do those things, by default, we, we do that. B'nai Yosef, Avengers, eyes up, bring Mashiach. What do we know? What do we know? But Adonai im olam va'ed, baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vekaye olam natabetokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha Torah. Amen.